Welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show, the number one podcast where we admit no matter what happens, daddy has the advice we need to fix our problems. Introducing my dad, Mr. Wayne Friedman. That was good. It would be nice if you could also sing a song. What would the song be? You love Paris in the springtime. I just made up some words to it. I love Rena in the springtime. I love Rena in the fall. <laughs> That's right. That's good enough. <laughs> oh boy. Let's dive in. Introducing Laura Tremaine. We met at VH1, worked together on Nanny 911. She's now a mommy in LA. She's gone from working in television to blogging to podcasting and now authoring. This past week, she even hit Good Morning America's list of books to read. We're going to catch up on the last 15 years. Laura, welcome. We met on Motormouth. V- yes. That w- I was like, I can't remember the name of it. Oh my God, was that a fun show? You were like my saving grace on that show because it was so crazy. Yeah, I still remember when we were like traveling on the road from city to city and we were sharing with each other that we had both dated our bosses. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you remember that? Well, and then I married mine, but... (laughs) I don't know what happened to that guy. So catch me up, like... It's so funny. I feel like I got to know you through the amount of Goodreads notifications in my inbox because you read more than anyone I know. You need to turn those notifications off, first of all. (laughs) Secondly, I read as like a sanity saver. It's the only thing that, you know, it like calms my anxiety. I kind of orient my day around my reading schedule. It's a sanity thing for me. That is amazing. How many books in a year do you think you read? Last year in 2020, I think I read 77. Wow. So you make like a conscious effort in doing that. I do. But on average, I really read about a book a week. Okay. Now I want to know what you've reread. Well, when I turned 40 and I'm 41 now, I kind of went through this phase where I wanted to reread some of my favorite books of all time. Cause I keep like a running list of favorites and I was just feeling like, you know, nostalgic or wondering if like my favorite book from when I was in my twenties would still ring true to me now. Like I just was sort of feeling like that. I didn't do it all at once, but I've sort of trickled in some of my favorites over the last few years. So like some Stephen King, some John Irving, like just some of these books that I read when I was younger and loved so much, I wanted to revisit them. I reread the Harry Potter series with my kids. I do read every single day. I set a timer. Have you heard about my reading timer method? I saw that and I thought that was brilliant. And I probably need to do that to like make sure I get it in. You know, I learned that when I was breastfeeding because I had this thing that I latched onto, pardon the pun, about (laughs) not losing myself after I had children. I really had this idea that I didn't want to, which now that I look back, that is total BS. But at the time, I really felt like I didn't want to lose myself. And so I was going to keep my reading habits. So when I was breastfeeding my daughter, who's 11 now, if I was doing 10 minutes on each side or whatever, I would read during that time. That would be 20 minutes of reading. And I started to realize like, I'm really reading a lot by doing that because you have to do that a few times a day, right? After I was no longer in the breastfeeding phase, I would still do that timer and realize like, if you do that three times a day, you're reading an hour a day. And like, everybody has 20 minutes. Literally everybody has 20 minutes to read a book. You know that you scroll social media for 20 minutes. Don't act like you do. It's funny because I'm still nursing a baby. Like I just had another one at 39 after my life was in somewhat of an order. 
I decided to completely make our life complete chaos. So I have like an 18, 19 month old now. And I think he would much prefer that I read versus playing on social media. Yeah. Much more calming. That's for yeah, sure. For sure. Oh my God. So I started to read your book and one, I would have never imagined, like you seemed like you had everything so together. I would have never like ever imagined the hair pulling thing. And really, because when we met, I was not doing great. So we met on that show. It was a show that we took on the road. So we were gone for six weeks or more. We were gone like a whole summer and like moving from city to city. And I had just started dating who's now my husband, Jeff, we had just started dating like in March and this was in the summer. So we were only a few months in and I was struggling when we met, like I, not just the separation from my boyfriend, but also just like changing cities every few days was stressful for me. And like living in a hotel room and our crew had some angst, people would like argue or whatever, you know, and I just was like, ah, like this was not a comfort zone show to be on. Yeah. So I can't believe you thought I had it together. I just fake it really well. You really do. Even on Nanny, I never saw any of that. Well, I was in a different place on Nanny 911. I feel like I was, that was a few years later. I was a few years older. I also, when we were working on Nanny 911, had kind of given up the idea that I wanted to stay in reality TV forever. Like I was already starting to be like, I'm over this. And so I had a different energy around my work day. By that time, was a little more secure. I knew I was good at my job. I wasn't trying to be the best ever and move up. Like, I, you know, I was just in a different mental space on Nanny. And another thing, this really matters. I had good friends on Nanny 911. And I felt like when you're on a show where you have good, long, deep connections with people, the work environment is just so different than when you're on a show where like people don't know each other or the vibe is weird or nobody cares to get to know each other because it's a short show. So people are like, I'm in, I'm out of this job, whatever. That really matters. And so on Nanny, which went for several years, I had friends, we had lunch together every day. Like it was much more chill situation. I felt like that was such a special crew. And I keep in touch with more people from that show than many other shows that I've worked on. That was such a special crew from like every position. I'm on a big project now. And I still, again, at 41, feel like I'm having to prove myself all over again. And have you taken projects where you like, even at your age now, feel that way? Not TV projects in a long time, but I can see how you would and I would if I was doing that. Like I've visited sets over the last few years, like since I've been out of production and been very intimidated, like how much has changed and like what the hustle of it all is. And it's really hard work. I mean, it's a lot. It's really a brain drain and a ton of work. And I can see how if I were to return to it, that I would feel really intimidated by the people who'd stayed in it when I, you know, have taken a break, that would be hard. So I'm not surprised that you're like, oh, I mean, it would be, it's a lot, Rena. Like it's a lot, that world. Yeah. It, it's crazy because I just like launched a podcast and you have one too. So you know, all that goes into that. I just launched one in August and from me doing that, somebody locally was like, Hey, can you help me produce my show? And they, you know, have the budget to shoot it in a studio and they have the budget to pay for an editor and a writer to write the article. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like they're doing everything professionally, which is amazing. And he's letting me spearhead that. And so I'm like such a perfectionist because I'm like, wow, I have all these people as tools. 
but it is a lot of responsibility when you're the one like coordinating all of that. You, you know, you were a coordinator, you know, there's so many details. So much, but actually that would be fun. What it sounds like you're doing, because once you've done, you've done it yourself independently. So you know what all the work is, you know what it takes to edit. So you can think about that when you're hiring an editor, you know what it takes to make it sound good. Like all of those things. I was always just one little tiny piece in a production. I don't know the, what you're doing sounds fun. I think I've, I would like to do that too. Maybe. Yeah. You could totally do that. Yeah. I got to get this book launched first, then we'll see. Yeah. So tell me about the process of writing your own book. Oh my God. It was crazy. I have always wanted to write a book. Like even back when you knew me, I wanted to write a book, but I did not have any writing experience. I wasn't writing when I was working in TV, which I always thought I would want to be a writer. But then when I got out here, I was like, oh yeah, no, I'm not a TV writer. And then after I left production and I was a new wife and mom, I started a mommy blog like back in 2010, this was. So it's been a while. But really when I started that mommy blog, like I had my eye on wanting to write a book eventually. Like I was like, I want to be an author. I feel like that's who I want to be. And I loved blogging and it was a really good way to learn like a writing discipline because I blogged every weekday, five days a week for years. And so that's a lot of words. <laughs> like that's a lot of writing and getting immediate feedback. And so I could tell which kind of pieces resonated with an audience or not. And you know, blogging sort of died in a way and moved to social media. And I kept that up also. And then I started podcasting and I did not think there was any, I don't want to say future, but like I just did podcasting as kind of a detour just for fun. The first podcast I was on, I was doing it as a favor to a friend, like I was a co-host once a month. So, you know, it was a very low time commitment. But then when I started doing it, I was like, wait, I think maybe I like using my literal voice instead of using my writing voice. And so I, I wasn't writing so much for a while. And so then when I decided that I did want to write a book that was born out of my podcast, it was like a fusion of both of those skills or talents that I've been working on. Like using my voice to speak on the podcast absolutely made me a better writer. Like I couldn't have learned that through just the blogging. So each chapter of the book asks one big question. That's what my podcast does also. And then in the chapters, I answer the question most of the chapters I'm answering it three different ways. So it's these three smaller pieces. So I really just sort of patchworked what I felt like I was good at. And it all came together, you know, into a book that made sense for the kinds of things I've been talking about on the internet for years, which is sharing yourself, loneliness, anxiety, parenthood, marriage and dating, like all these things I've been writing about or, or talking about for a long time. I just put it in book form. It's amazing. I liked the question, who taught you how to be? What's your answer? Oh my God, I'm so heavily reliant on my dad. Mm, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Better call daddy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And actually, I was like drawn into that story that you talked about your dad in the beginning, him being left at the hospital. I really wanted to know more that you didn't share. Well, that's hard because that's really his story. And I mean, I got permission from him to write what I did write. The point of that story was that he was adopted and we found his birth mom when I was in college. So that's the part that mattered to me because I was there for that and all of that, but all the part of his early life that has a lot of pain attached to it. And also I just felt like what just wasn't so much mine to tell. He was born in the forties 
and adoption was different in the 40s and less official back then. You know, it was less paperwork, I suppose. It was hard. It was, that was a, that's kind of a hard story, but I couldn't, I didn't want to share all those early details, but I did want to share the part that involved me, which was meeting my biological grandmother. I guess I was like 20. That is amazing that you got to be there for that moment. Yeah, it was really beautiful. And my, we all remembered it a little differently. So that day that we met her for the first time, obviously my dad was there. My sister was there. My mom was there. My brother was living somewhere else at the time. So he wasn't there. And we've all talked about that day since I wrote about it. And everyone remembers it differently, not in a negative way. We just remember different details or different things about her. She's now passed away. Then how I wrote it, which is sort of an interesting thing about memoir or nonfiction is that you might remember something different than the people you write about remember it. <laughs> yeah. And I also remember your love for Dr. Pepper, <laughs> which you even had at your wedding. Yes. You made like Dr. Pepper martinis or something. No, I, well, we had Dr. Pepper there, but it's my favorite drink. <laughs> and listen, if you're going to have a vice, it's fine. And I also remember, so like you mentioned the hollywoodhousewife.com and, and I, I followed a lot of that. And I remember you did like these day in the life ofs and I actually like participated in one. I was like, that's genius to like document your day for one day all the way through and look back. Yeah, on I still do that. This year, like there were over 20,000 posts in the feed. It was crazy this year. This was our biggest year yet. And it's called One Day HH. And it's like one day, hour by hour. And we just document what a day in the life looks like. And people all over the world do it now. So on the designated day, like when I wake up in Los Angeles and I look at the hashtag or people have tagged me or whatever, because they're doing it. And they're like in Mongolia and Australia and like people, Tokyo and like all over the world, people are doing one day HH. And it's like crazy to see how different everyone's day is, first of all, because they're all over the world or even just in the US, how different their day is. But then also like the thread of sameness that we all have, like everybody has to eat lunch. Everybody has to take care of their kid if they're a parent. I mean, it's just like, it makes you feel like, wow, it's fascinating how different your life is. But then it also makes you think like, oh, we're all just people. We're all just having a normal Wednesday. I cannot believe 20,000 people did that. And you started that? Well, yeah, a thousand. Whoa. I get so many messages of people being like, I thought that was a boring day. But when I look back on those pictures two years later and see what our day looked like then, what my kids looked like, I'm so glad I documented it, even though it was just like, boring to me at the time, because now I can look back and see how much our life has changed, or I can look back and see how beautiful that season was or how hard that season was. And I like, didn't even know. Well, and then, you know, in 2020, nobody left the house. I almost didn't even want to host it last year, I guess, because I was so bored by pandemic life. But then I was like, actually, I have to learn from my own self that this is like the most important year to document what it looked like to all be home for the pandemic, you know? Yeah. Okay. So now I totally want to know, like, what is it like to be married to the guy that you were just dating when we met? And it's been a long time. We've been married 13 years now. So yeah. you and I've known each other a really long time. It's so crazy. Well, he's still a movie director, TV producer. He has several shows on MTV all the time. And he makes movies also. I mean, it's great. He's 13 years older than I am. So that age gap, like when we met and I was 25 and he was 38, well, now I'm 41 and he's 54. So, you know, that, that gap just keeps on. 
but you know, he's great. I worked a lot more in the pandemic than he did because I work at home and he was working on a movie that got shut down. So he really couldn't do anything hardly. Like he was literally just stuck in the house for us. I was like furiously editing a book and making my podcast and stuff like that. He's a really involved dad. Our kids are 11 and nine now. We're just doing the LA life, you know? The LA life. What is the LA life like now? Like how has LA changed in the last decade? You know, like the homeless problem has exploded. I mean, I can't even speak about that intelligently because I don't know all the reasons why that has happened, but it has definitely changed in the years that I've lived here, that it is definitely, definitely a noticeable change to how the city feels. You know, production was outsourced for quite a few years. A lot of people were fleeing California to do their movies and TV shows in other states or even up in Canada for tax break reasons. It just got so expensive to shoot here. And so a lot of the entertainment industry was living a nomadic life where if you were married to someone, let's say you were married to a sound guy or something, like he would be gone for a long time or or back and forth. And so that was kind of a strain. Definitely things have shifted. When you and I first met, it was the early 2000s and reality TV was still non-union and was still a lot cheaper. It's still cheaper, but I stayed working in reality TV as it started to turn union. You know, reality TV when it started was just like what we would think of almost as like YouTube now or something. It was more like just so much more independent and you could be kind of rogue and you weren't really like, you didn't have to follow all the production rules, you know? And then by the late 2000s, like 2007, 2008, that really started to shift. That changed a lot of jobs. That's really interesting. So did it become more regulated? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, the big show, I remember specifically because I was working on a show for the CW when Mary's Next Top Model was the first sort of big reality show to go union. Everyone was freaked out by it. Like, you know, how that changes the whole thing. If you're not part of the union, you can't work. If you're on the production side, that changes how you pay people, how you hire people, what the rules are, you know. That was the last show I did, actually. And then I was like, I actually can't do this anymore. This is so hard. Now it's evened out. And I don't even know if there are a lot of non-union shows or not. I'm not, I don't know the ratio of that anymore. What are your thoughts about like the explosion of podcasting and YouTube and how really anybody can create their own show? Oh, I love that. I've actually always loved that from my blogging days. Like I started with blogging and then it became, and then YouTube alongside, I feel like. And then social media made everybody a content creator, now podcasting. I do think that podcasting of all of those that we just said is one of the hardest to grow an audience on. It's probably not the hardest to create. I think probably video is the hardest. Podcasts, I feel like, take up so much of the audience's time. Like if you could watch an amazing video and subscribe to a YouTube channel and their videos are three to 10 minutes long, right? Like they're they're shorter. You can watch many of those a day. You can keep up with, like, like people used to read blogs, you could keep up with dozens of YouTubers that you enjoy and follow. Same as like social media people that you follow who create original content. But with podcasters, if your average show is between 40 minutes and an hour, you can only listen to one at a time and you can only listen to a couple a day. And that's a a really avid podcast listener. Most people will only listen to a couple a week. So like, it's hard to make my show that I make to get that to be somebody's top one or two. It's just a lot harder. Whereas when I was blogging and it, you could click through and read a good blog post, it would take you three to five minutes to read 
somebody's blog post or less even, I could get lots of people to click through for a couple of minutes. I agree. But if your goal isn't to monetize and it's just simply to demonstrate that you are good at casting or that you're good at telling a good story or that you have a good relationship with your dad, you know, it can lead to clients. It can lead to community building and it can lead to other amazing things. That's kind of why I'm doing it. Well, yeah. I mean, it led to a book deal. I don't think I would have gotten this book deal without my podcast. Now, maybe because I had a background in blogging and I had built a little bit of a platform on social media, which matters in publishing now. It shouldn't, but it it does. So possibly, but I don't know. I feel like it was the podcast really, like you're saying, that really proved that I could be consistent with my content, that I put out quality content, you know, that I had an audience that liked what I had to say, you know, it would sell a book or whatever. That all came from the podcast. My mind went back to the intro of your book and how you met Jenna Kutcher. I was just thinking that she was Jenna Fisher. Jenna Fisher. Thank you. I was like, whoa, that's so cool that you met like through your kids, because I feel like a lot of who you become friends with in your adult life is through your kids. Yes. I didn't have a lot of friends in LA until I had kids. And then I was like, ah, this is where the other women my age are. They're mommies at mommy and me class. Yeah, that was good, but you know, not what I expected. I met Jenna at, our kids went to preschool together. And I told this story on my show, but it's so true. I met her on the first day. I have an older kid and then she has a son, my son's age. And so I was at preschool for the first day of school and was familiar with the preschool, but it was her first day, like ever. It was, you know, first day of any, it's like frazzled and like parents are there and like all this kind of crazy. And I saw her and she was so familiar to me because of the office that I thought I knew her. Like I, it's such an LA thing when you, you know, when you see someone and you're like, do I know you or are you famous? Oh yeah. I've totally done that in embarrassing ways. Me too. Because I was in such preschool mom mode in the moment, I just, she was so familiar. I figured that she was a mom from last year or whatever. And so I was like, Hey, and I gave her a big hug. And I was like, (laughs) how was your summer? Whatever. And then like, then I, it's sort of starting to dawn on me probably because her face is confused that I was like, I don't, oh God, I don't know her actually. And then I was so embarrassed because I was like, I don't, I don't know you. I don't even know you. I mean, I don't know what I said. I didn't say that. I think I just played it off. But then later I was like, I think I just hugged an actress that I did not know. And then it just turned out that our, our boys got to be buddies. And so we started hanging out and she's great and she's kind and thoughtful and smart. And she doesn't even remember meeting me that way, but I remember because I was so embarrassed. I love that. That's so funny. But I sometimes feel sorry sometimes for the more well-known people in LA in those situations because they also just want to be at a mom's night out. They don't want to be like the one that everyone's being awkward around and everyone's being awkward around them. And they know it. I've heard stories, you know, as we become friends where they're like, I had one mom friend at our school who found out that she was a actress, famous actress. And she found out she wasn't getting invited to the mom's night outs because of what I just described. People are either awkward or people don't want to ask her and make her feel like she, you know, she has to go feel obligated or don't, they don't, they just assume she would never come. So why invite her? Cause she's a famous person, whatever. And it was really hurting her feelings. Like she's like, I'm a mom at the school. Like, why can't I get invited to the mom's night out? I was like, I just, no one thinks that you would ever get your feelings hurt. Like everyone just assumes that you have a million friends or you have 
Like we're more worried about what you would think of us than the other way around. Do you think about like your oaky roots and compared to what your children are experiencing? Yes. Are you kidding me? I grew up in a town where there was like a school. There wasn't private schools. There wasn't application processes. There wasn't anything like what, how my kids are growing up. It's crazy. My kids are growing up like, yeah, it's just a different world. I mean, my husband grew up in a military family, so he moved around a lot, but it was, you know, a military mentality. And so we try, and I don't want to say we always accomplish this, but we do try to keep our family grounded in certain ways and be like really realistic about things and explain when there's something very LA happening, explain to our kids like what a bubble this is, like how special this is in the other kids, their cousins in Oklahoma, this is not what their school fundraiser is like or whatever. We don't want to pretend like this is normal. It's not normal. Have you taken them to like red carpet events? I will say we have not done that, but it's not because we are (laughs) so humble. It's because I don't think we've been invited. I can't even think of something that we would have been invited to like that. But I mean, we get to, you get to do other fun stuff. Like they can go to Disneyland on a regular Tuesday, you know, when for most people that's their vacation for the year. Well, we just experienced a big thing in the pandemic of their school was able to pivot really quickly because it's small and it's private and has a lot of resources and it was able to go online and really be like on the cutting edge of making that work when obviously the public schools in Los Angeles struggled hard and that that disparity is like hard to watch because LA school district is half a million children and you cannot pivot half a million children into an online program in a week. So you know, we do see it and we just try to be like very aware of it and not take it for granted. And we talk to the kids about it. And like, I felt scared to raise a family there because it was so different than my Kentucky roots. I was like, what did you think was going to happen? I was just like, you know, there's billboards everywhere and there's like the pressure to be skinny and perfect and, you know, that. And also I do feel like a lot of people that I knew from California have gotten divorced. I don't know if you've seen that as well. But I'm like, is that a California thing? Because I feel like I know a lot of people that have gone through that. I agree with you. What I didn't want was like, I remember I would see kids, little LA kids in like seven jeans, like $125 jeans when I could not afford that for myself. And I remember being like, this elementary school kid has on like, what? And I did not want my kids to be entitled in that way. Like I was like, we were, we are target jeans. That was like a marker for me. As far as like divorce or pressure to be skinny, that's totally legit. But I have nieces and nephews on both sides of our family. We have tons of kids in our family. And, you know, I've just seen that like the whole world has changed in some ways. And they feel some of those pressures, even if they're in a small town, you know, that they're getting on the internet. I did start to realize in a more realistic way, not that LA doesn't have its legit problems because it does, but that our family all over the country was experiencing some of these same struggles. That part wasn't particular to LA. I think a lot of that is from the internet. We don't have the option really to live anywhere else because of Jeff's work for right now. When we had babies, Jeff and I said to each other, look, we can have babies in Los Angeles. And if we get to when they're like 10 years old or whatever, we'll reassess. Like, do we feel like this is toxic? Do we feel like we're raising little brats or something? And 
a few years ago, we actually had that reassessment conversation and, and we made a really conscious effort to stay. I think it's hard to be a teenager, no matter where you are these days, the pressures are, I'm just so glad we didn't have YouTube when I was growing up or TikTok. I'm just, I'm so glad. Me too. It actually scares me because I'm like, how can you really protect your kids from it? You can. I mean, we have these seminars at our school all the time of how you can check their devices or how you can set boundaries or have family rules or whatever. You know, they're just trying to help parents navigate this. But I'm just, every single time I go to those meetings, every parent in the room is just like, ah, this is so hard, you know? Oh my gosh. And I saw on your Instagram stories that you and your hubby like are working on something. I don't know if you want to give that away, but have you still been able to help him with his projects? Could you pitch your husband? What is next for you? Like, what are your big dreams now? Well, this is a two book deal contract that I'm in. So I'm launching the first one and I have to write the second one now. (laughs) So, oh my God, that's that's amazing. That's so exciting. That's good. I wanted to be an author and I'm authoring. So here we go. No, Jeff's life has outgrown me for sure. He, he has a whole production company with employees and I could not pitch him. We First of all, we don't have the same taste in anything. Second of all, he has a whole machine that's running over there. I mean, I like to give him opinions sometimes or like notes on something or thoughts, whatever, on an idea that he's pitching out in town. Can you say what he makes? He makes Jackass. The movie was where we met. But then he also makes like probably the most popular thing that he's ever made is on MTV, a show called Ridiculousness. People love that show. So he makes a bunch of different MTV shows. Before Ridiculousness, he did Robin Big and Fantasy Factory, also with Rob Dyrdek. And then he made The Dirt for Netflix, which was hard R rated. Uh, He makes a lot of commercials and he does a lot of prank based movies and shows and they're, you know, usually kind of naughty. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm over here on the internet being like, we need to share our spirit. We really need to be like, <laughs> so we're, we're just doing really different things. Oh my God. So crazy. Well, I love how open you've been with me and this has been so much fun. Oh my goodness. And I love catching up with you. It's so I don't even, boys. yeah. Like, I don't even feel like you're in LA, you know, you could just be anywhere. So that's mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah, the power of Zoom. We've all learned it in the last year. Well, promote away, like let people know how they can connect with you, buy your book, find your podcast. Well, I would really love it if people would buy my book. That is the thing that I am just really hoping for right now. It's called Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First, 10 Questions to Take Your Friendships to the Next Level. Each chapter asks a big question. You can buddy read it with a a partner, a spouse, or a best friend or a group of friends. It's a really good buddy read if you want to just sort of reconnect with people, get to know them better. So that's my book. And then I have a weekly podcast called 10 Things to Tell You. Very similar format where you have a question every week. I answer the question on the show or my guest answers the question. And so you can find all of those on the internet. And I'm on Instagram every day at lara.tremaine. And the show is on the internet at 10 Things to Tell You. I love your evolution and I'm so proud of you. And I just, I loved catching up with you. This is so much fun. I wish we could hop back in that van for one freaking day and like drive across country, drinking Dr. Peppers with the radio (laughs) blasting. I would kill for that right now. That would be so fun. Totally. Thank you for asking me to come on here. It was such an honor. Grandpa, what did you think?
You know, yeah. what's interesting about me and Laura that you just listened to? Yeah. We bonded over us both dating our bosses, but she Isn't ended up something? marrying hers. <laughs> well, it was a very interesting discussion with Laura because another correlation is your podcasting and she was doing podcasting and it actually helped her advertise herself, build her network. And what she ended up doing was, of course, in the days of blogging, uh, which uh, now you have Zoom and with uh, other ways of communicating on the internet, people aren't really reading the blogs as much. It has been an, an evolution into podcasting this past year has been where everybody's doing it or YouTubing uh, and doing videos where that's really taken a higher priority of referencing yourself than the blogging. And before, everybody used to get a lot of credit for being able to do blogging and have communication that way. And you both are able to build your network through the podcasting. And uh, her experience that she has of reading extensively and writing extensively and then doing the podcasting and putting those three things together, she's able to now do a book deal, be able to write a couple of books and be able to pivot or reinvent herself in a new way by using all of her experiences. She wrote a whole book about questions that you can ask to start deeper conversations. I think it's fantastic. And where does she get all of this insightfulness? It's not only from her experiences of her own and experiencing life in a new way. And she says, hey, all of this stuff, I can express myself now with the opportunity of really becoming something that I always wanted to be was an author of all of these experiences. And she's gone out and, and is doing it. So her question was, what do you think your life would have been like if you had gone to Hollywood and lived that life? Well, it's a very interesting question. Laura proposes a question that a lot of people that go to Hollywood would have to answer. And as you know, my dad also worked with the Diana Shaw. He used to chauffeur Frank Sinatra around before he was a, you know, an untouchable star. But I think the glamour of it is what's so attractive. However, do you want to sacrifice this glamour and this uh, Hollywood spectacle and not still have a family life? And do you want to live and breathe Hollywood where that's, you know, that's the only thing that you do? I would have liked to have been in show business as my father would have liked to have been in show business, but not at the sacrifice of not having children and a family life as well. It's a really tough balancing act, but I think it can be done. Oh, you do, huh? Well, at least I hope that it can be. Today's episode is sponsored by Rin 10 Media. If you want to look and sound your best for a podcast of your own, you want to get in touch with Rin 10 Media. When I first contacted them, Better Call Daddy was just a twinkle in my daddy's eye. And now, only after a couple months in, we're at like 50 episodes. Reach out to info at ren10media.co.za and use the subject line, Better Call Daddy. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and tune in. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Yeah.